0: Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. The Healthcare Sterile Processing Association, HSPA, invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator John Wood.
1: Welcome to The Process This Podcast. This is episode number 99. I hope you are doing well. So today on the show, we are talking to Sue Klasick, one of your HSPA clinical educators, and Tara Kramer, a director of microbiological quality at Johnson & Johnson. So this is a packed show today, and I urge you, if you're listening to this, to stick with us till the very end because Sue and Tara are talking about the soil drying study they were involved in, and they're gonna talk about some upcoming research that I feel will definitely impact our industry and potentially change the way we look at cleaning and decontamination. So let's not waste any more time and let's get to it. Tara and Sue, thank you for joining me on the show today.
0: Thank you for having us.
2: Thanks, John, it's a pleasure.
1: So again, we're talking about the article, which is the effects of time and temperature and humidity on soil drying on medical devices. So can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to do this type of research?
2: Well, what came about is at Amy, we're now working on a document for external transportation of medical devices. And part of that is transporting soiled instrumentation. And there's really, there was no evidence on transporting uh, medical devices with soil on them, you know, how long they could stand. And at that point, it was really the weather conditions because we'll be transporting the items in an uncontrolled environment. And there was nothing to tell us, you know, how long can these soiled instruments sit in temperatures, humidity and even the time factor. So I reached out to Tara to ask her for some help at one of the Kilmer meetings. And the reason um, that this is going on more and more now, the external transportation, is that more facilities are now doing centralized processing, meaning that healthcare facilities, whether it's a clinic or a major hospital, are now sending medical devices for processing to a centralized facility, often with soil still on them. So that results in longer transport times. And also the instruments are now exposed to weather conditions, uncontrolled weather conditions. And we don't know what effects that has on the instrumentation. The other thing is, as we were looking at this, um, internally, we also have some issues with transporting soiled instrumentation. When surgery completes a case, they're really good at getting the instruments down to the decontamination room. However, that's not always the case in other areas. For example, A labor and delivery department may be very far from sterile processing, and they may just send the instruments all down at the end of the shift or maybe at lunchtime. Now, they may be performing procedures at seven or eight in the morning. The instruments don't come down until later in the day. And this also happens with other areas, the cath lab, the emergency room. Throughout the hospital, they just at the end of the shift or at lunchtime, or even a pickup and delivery, that's when the soiled instruments come to sterile processing. And the reason is there's been no research or evidence saying it doesn't really matter if the instruments sit up in these areas for a while. And so, thank you, Tara, for your great research, because now we know what really happens when we leave soil on instrumentation and how to prevent some of the problems with soil on instrumentation.
1: So in the article, you talk about the margin of safety and that this margin of safety is essentially built into the instructions for use. So can you explain that margin of safety? And do you really think that the margin of safety that they built in covers every event the medical device could encounter?
0: Maybe I could start with that one a little bit, Sue, from a manufacturer's perspective. So as a medical device manufacturer, we really try to think about how the device could be used or maybe misused as we're developing our cleaning instructions for use. And we we really go through a, a very thorough analysis of thinking about, you know what kind of contact it's going to have with the patient what type of soil it's going to come in contact, because there are differences in how the soils will adhere to a reusable medical device. But then also just how it might flow through the use and then into the decontamination process. And so as we're setting up our instructions for use and we're designing what needs to be in them, we're thinking about how to validate those instructions. And we think about how to challenge those instructions for use from a worst case scenario. So for instance, if the requirement of a cleaning agent or a detergent is to use it at a certain temperature to make sure that the enzymes are working, we'll validate it with enzymes um, maybe not working. So we'll keep it at the very low end of the range so that the enzymes are as least active as possible. It's just an example of how we stack those validation variables to really give us that worst case scenario overall for the cleaning instructions and really build in that safety factor. It's no different than what we would do within sterilization where we're looking at a um, overkill methodology or looking at a sterility assurance level where we're shooting above so when you know somebody on the line is having a bad day and maybe they missed something, we've covered that and we still can guarantee patient safety. Now, this doesn't account for catastrophic error, right, or misuse. You have to follow the instructions for use because that's how we validate, which leads us really into thinking about how the majority of the instructions for use have an instruction that is to you know remove visible or gross soil from the device at point of use and then to sort of condition the device so there any remaining soil that's on the device isn't at risk of drying so whether that's um, covering it with a damp OR towel that keeps the humidity level high so that the soil can't uh, the water from the soil can't evaporate out or whether it's um, spraying an enzymatic foam or putting it in a hemectic bag. Those are all processes that will help to prevent a situation from occurring that we did not plan for as manufacturers, which is really where this research takes off is we have a disconnect right now between mm-hmm. what we think as manufacturers are being done and then what we're seeing experience in a healthcare facility. Maybe, so you can talk more about the challenges um, within the healthcare facility on getting those items down to decontamination and then processing them quickly.
2: Well, and it is a challenge because in many areas of the hospital they have their own routines and in their routines they're saying you know it is that they do the procedures at one time of the day or throughout the day and they only need to go to sterile processing because it's maybe way on the other side of the building at the end of the shift and that is a problem and some hospitals have a pickup and delivery system where on a scheduled their routes are made to each area they pick up soiled instrumentation and drop off sterile or clean instrumentation. But that is a problem because there's really no sense of urgency to get the instruments down to sterile processing. The other problem is in the decontamination room, things can pile up. If instruments all come into the decontamination room at a certain time of the day, you know, say you get five tables back there, and there's only one person. Well, those instruments are going to sit and it's possible that instruments can sit in the decontam for up to eight hours because of of stat cases coming in and and turnovers. So it is a problem in healthcare facilities having soiled on instruments, soil sitting on instruments for quite a while. And you're right, Tara, there was a disconnect on that because hospitals, you know, healthcare facilities weren't aware of all the problems that can be caused by the soils sitting on the instrumentation.
1: In the article, there is mention of a growing trend to centralize processing activities, which involves external transport. So, can you review some of the issues identified with external transport?
2: Sure, John. What, what's happening in healthcare facilities is uh, there is a trend more and more to centralized processing. And this is because the equipment that we use in serial processing is extremely expensive the sterilizers, the decontamination equipment. And so, s- some healthcare systems see the benefit of centralized processing because we can have centralized expertise all at one area. It's sometimes hard to have experts in everything for processing in a healthcare facility. So in centralized processing, you may have a center where they just process flexible endoscopes. Another station may process orthopedic instrumentation, another one ENT instrumentation. So by centralizing it, all of the instruments come to one area and the expertise is centralized, the equipment is centralized, and it also saves space in the healthcare facilities. The space is so expensive, especially in the surgical area, it just makes sense to get remote processing in some facilities because they can free that space up for direct patient care.
1: So the article talks about four different experiments is conducted to evaluate uh, the variables of time temperature and humidity on soil drying. So can you kind of explain those experiments? Uh, I guess starting with the visible dry experiment.
2: Of course. So
0: we first went back to what happens within a cleaning validation that medical device manufacturers are doing to support their instructions for use. And so that visible dry piece is the first kind of big piece of the puzzle for what happens in a cleaning validation. So. Medical device manufacturers will simulate that soil um, that that is going to go onto the medical device, and then, you know, they have to assume that maybe maybe a worst case would be it didn't get removed right after uh, use at, at the point of use. It maybe maybe the soil was allowed to sit on it during you know while they were finishing up that surgical procedure and then moving it down into decontamination. Maybe it it wasn't. Uh, prepared properly where it was um, you know covered or um, you know a spray foam or something like that to prevent it from drying. So so in our validations we start with okay there's gonna be some level of dry. So typically the way that's done is the soil is applied and then you're looking to see when that soil is visibly dry. So you're looking to um, identify visually if there's any more water content. Sometimes that means that it's dry to the touch. Sometimes you're just looking at it to make sure that it doesn't look like it's wet anymore. So the first experiment, we wanted to understand what really is dry. So when we think as manufacturers, we're going to let the soil dry on the device, how long is that? So what we did is we used a gravimetric analysis, which is very simple. We basically weigh it before, and then we pull it out at time points and continue to weigh it. And what we're looking at is that point within the weight measurements um, at a given time where we stop seeing a change. So we're looking at the point at which on an analytical balance, which which goes down to a very low level of, of weight, we don't see any more changes in the data set. So what we found in that data is that for the first half an hour, you see a lot of water evaporate out of the soil and it really starts to dry. So the data really starts to settle down about the half an hour mark. And then by the time it gets to an hour, we don't see any changes gravimetrically between one hour and 72 hours. Which is pretty significant because it really was important that as manufacturers, when we say in our validations, let it dry for an hour or more, that we've hit that level where we're not seeing any more soil or water evaporate from the soil. So that was sort of our starting point. We wanted to understand is if what we do in our validations actually makes sense scientifically. And the good news is that it does. Now we went one step further and we wanted to assess. What happens to the soil from a solubility perspective after that time point? So we've let it dry. How does time affect the solubility rate of that water or of that soil in water? So water at a, as a universal solvent is um, a, a great chemical that's going to come in and basically lift off those proteins from the surface of the medical device, lift them into solution and remove them. So within this experimental design, it's important that we did not assess any cleaning, any kind of mechanical or physical movement of the soil. We are merely looking at the chemical changes and how um, if The soil is allowed to dry. What's happening chemically in the soil over time that can affect its ability to dissolve in water, very simply. So what we found is we compared in in drying the the time difference between that one to two hour mark all the way up to 72, thinking if there's a long weekend and, and, soil is allowed to sit on devices, do we still have that same level of challenge that we saw when it was dry at the end of that 72 hour mark? So we went through and um, I joke around with Sue a lot that we spent almost a year watching paint dry (laughs) because we we painted on the soil very meticulously to make sure that it was evenly distributed, that we didn't have any cracking or crazing or anything yeah. within the soil application that would cause it to have variability in the results. And then we, we patiently watched it dry, <laughs> pulled it out <laughs> at those given time points, and then tested it against solubility to see if it would dissolve in water. And what we found was, was actually very surprising to a lot of us in the industry that felt like dry is dry. Once, once we can't detect water evaporating gravimetrically, it's got to be dry, right? Well, what we actually found was something is happening chemically to the soil over time where it's changing from water soluble, meaning it's readily dissolved in water, to water insoluble. So it's it's like the the molecules are flipping and they're becoming to a point over time where they actually repel water. So water can't really get in and break up those bonds to the point where it can get in and under and actually lift from the medical device and remove, which makes it a greater challenge from a cleaning aspect, just from a chemical perspective, right? Mm-hmm. It's adhering a different way than it did at two hours to 72 hours? So we actually found, found a very big change in what happens over time. Now we also tested a flat coupon surface. So just a very flat stainless steel um, surface that allowed us to kind of look at just what's happening chemically. But then we also went one step further and we tested it on a hemostatic clamp. And the idea here was to really understand if, if the device feature, so that box hinge or mm. the mated surface, um, when it comes together, um, at the at the distal end of that that device, if those features actually change that equation, and they do. <laughs> so mm. not only did we find that there is a change between that hour, that time. Point. But also there's a difference between what happens on just a flat surface to what happens in a complicated um, feature of a device. So that was a that was a big surprise to us. So then we wanted to um, identify this temperature make a difference. So we we really started looking at the Arrhenius equation and thinking about if we have a time or a temperature difference. So say um, everybody should be familiar with 45 degrees celsius which is the temperature that's listed in amy st79 that it says blood is going to start to coagulate proteins are going to start to coagulate at 45 degrees and they're going to be harder to remove so we wanted to test that particular part of the experiment and so what we did was we actually looked at temperature ranges that that range not only to include 45, but also a lower range to cover refrigerated types of conditions and then all the way up to, you know, if you have a transport vehicle that's in Phoenix, Arizona in the middle of summer and you have devices sitting in that truck that are baking, what's happening to those even if they are a short window of drying? So we did the same type of experiment where we were looking at solubility changes and what we found there is, is going to be no surprise to anybody, right? The hotter it gets, the more we bake those proteins on and the harder they are to remove. Yeah. So, you know, I really start thinking back to, you know, cooking experiments and looking at eggs and how they cook that, that albumin that is a major component of eggs. Um, and lysozyme. Those are the, the proteins that we also see in blood complexes that do the same thing. They're harder to remove, right? If you heat them up and they bake on a, a surface, like a plate, if you leave the plate to sit out on your counter over the weekend, it's going to be much harder to get them off than when you first let them dry. So it, it logically, it makes sense, but as an industry, we hadn't connected those dots. Hmm. So we found that Um, higher temperatures um, made the soluble rate decrease, meaning it wasn't as soluble anymore. And lower temperatures like refrigerated conditions actually helped our solubility, right? And if you think about it, it comes back to that water, the water content that's still left in the soil if it is under refrigerated conditions, the molecules are not moving as fast, so they're less prone to actually remove from the soil, and therefore we're gonna see less of an issue from a soil drying perspective than we would at those higher temperatures where they're prone to evaporate because the molecules are moving faster. I'm taking everybody back to their high school chemistry
1: (laughs) class at this point.
0: So the final experiment that we did had to do with humidity. And and this was really thinking about tying back to that transport piece of, you know, uh, a, there's going to be a difference between transporting in um you know Georgia in the middle of summer versus Utah in the middle of summer where there's not a lot of humidity. So we we wanted to kind of understand the difference of does humidity help or hurt. And the the good news is, is that Humidity helps us, right? If there's more water in the environment, there's less opportunity for the water to evaporate from the soil. And therefore, we don't see that drying effect as quickly. Mm -hmm. Therefore, um, it was pretty stable from a humidity perspective until you get into those higher ranges. And then it really helps you, which supports what the industry is already doing around keeping those devices moist putting them in a bag or container so that really the water can't get out and evaporate and really um, supporting the, the knowledge base that we already have within an industry to that we're doing the right things. The IFUs are driving us in the right direction. We just have to follow those instructions in order to be able to be successful. And the science really supports that, that finding.
1: Hey, let's pause our conversation for just a second. Are you looking to get a CE for this episode? Well, you are in the right place. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, log on to the MyHSPA website, and make sure you use the code TIME. Again, the code for this episode is TIME. Now let's get back to our conversation. So you did talk about One of the surprises within the experiment, were there any other surprises or results that were were unexpected when you were doing this?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that Uh there were surprises all over the place because this was one of those foundational research projects that, you know, we just didn't have in the literature. There were a lot of guesses, Mm -hmm. but not a lot of supporting evidence around it. And, you know, I think I was pleasantly surprised, but also had to have some difficult conversations with people who had made some assumptions that dry is dry is dry. And so it became a conversation, not only with uh, medical device manufacturers on, you know, how to assess their cleaning validations to make sure that they're actually challenging it appropriately, but then also, um, you know, going back to those healthcare facilities, the perioperative nurses, making sure that everyone's aware of, here are the consequences if we do something very simple, like let something dry.
1: So in the article you also mentioned the implications of residual soil for perioperative nursing. Can you kind of speak to those issues?
0: Absolutely. So (laughs) as we were really finding out, right, that there is a lot of attention that needs to be paid to these devices up front, I think it was a nice opportunity to explain the why. So, for so many years, we've we've given these instructions as medical device manufacturers. You know, we have instructions within the AORN guidelines. We have instructions within uh, sc seventy nine, and they all say the same thing. But there's there's been a lack of why. And so when you're trying to explain to somebody who is rushed, they're stressed, they have a lot going on, why they need to take an extra minute and do something that seems so is it really that important? Um, It becomes a really, I think, important foundational why to help them understand. And so I think the implications for perioperative nursing is that now we have the ability to really help people understand the impact that they have in just that one extra step and how it's going to make a big difference in patient safety. Because If the solubility rate changes, and it's more difficult to remove, it means that there's a higher likelihood of retained bioburden on that product as it goes through the process, especially in those areas of the device that are really difficult to clean, hard to reach, we can't visibly see. So when we're doing those types of inspections in sterile processing, it gets very tricky for us to make sure that we have the right inspection criteria to help our friends in sterile processing identify when there's still residual bio burden, But at the end of the day, we're all in this together from a patient safety perspective. So having that rationale as to why I think is so important because if people understand the why they're doing something, they'll feel connected to it, and it's more likely that it will get done.
1: As folks read this article, is there one thing that facilities can do to start making changes to their current practice or processes? And if so, what things would you suggest that they start doing?
2: Well, in healthcare facilities, we can definitely keep the instruments moist in you know, the point of use treatment. This gives us the why, why is it so important? And here's why we. it gave us the why. And so we need to keep the instruments moist. We need to also get the instruments, the soiled instruments, to sterile processing as soon as possible so that they can start undergoing the cleaning process. Another thing that I think this article will help with when we talk about the why, as a sterile processing manager, often we need more people, we need more equipment. And this gives us why, because we can't let the instruments sit there. And oftentimes we can't just say, well, you know what, midnights will get to the instruments. Don't worry about it. No, the why is we need to process these instruments as soon as possible. The manufacturers developed the instructions for use with the understanding that the soils would not dry on the instrument and that they would come to serial processing and be processed within a certain amount of time. In addition, the instruments are not expected to be introduced to adverse environments that we can see with external transportation. So some of the changes we can make, first off, it's a good why if we're trying to get more equipment or more personnel. We can definitely you know, include in policies the instruments must be kept moist until they got to serial processing. And in healthcare facilities, we should also look at the timeliness of getting the instruments to serial processing. If the instruments are used at seven o'clock in the morning, They shouldn't sit there and wait until somebody goes to sterile processing at either lunch or at the end of the shift to be processed. They should be sent down to sterile processing in a more timely manner.
0: I just wanna echo what Sue said and beg the audience, please, please, please don't let them dry. I think that's if you take nothing else, don't let them dry. Um, And if you do, make it for a very short amount of time with temperatures that you like to be in. So if you're not comfortable, they're not comfortable. So if, if for example, you have to transport them dry from facility A to, to facility B, please make sure that the temperature is is in conditions that humans like to be in. That, that's, I think, the biggest takeaway, because if you're not comfortable sitting in the transport vehicle, you're hot, those proteins are baking on and it is accelerating the time that, that we're seeing that impact. And so when you get to that facility, it's going to be harder for them to be cleaned. So so please don't let them dry. <laughs> and if you do, bake it very very short amount of time.
1: So last question. Are there any plans for any future experiments, any future studies?
0: Oh my gosh, yes. So since the conclusion of this study, you know, there have been um, a, I think an onslaught of research that has to be done. So what we discovered is there's, there's a lot of gaps right now. And as we, we completed this study, it, it brought up all these questions as to what's really going on. So there are two more publications that are tied to this one. So one has to do with what's happening chemically when those proteins are changing. So what happens when, um, how is it changing from water-soluble to insoluble? What's happening to the protein complexes within the blood soil that's causing that change? And then is there anything we can do to reverse it? So if you have something that's been sitting for a long time, can you chemically reverse that change? So those are just two of the publications that have already been published. The research that we're currently working on that will come out next year has to do with that Uh, difference between that flat coupon and the feature of the device. And so what we're evaluating now is what happens as you change the complexity of that feature. And so we have 23 device features that we're challenging against these these criteria. But this time we're looking at cleaning. So we're building in that manual and automated cleaning process to really assess not just the solubility, but what is the probability of soil remaining on the device after you clean it? And this is really important because what we're hoping to do with this data is to be able to give it back to the healthcare facilities in a new cleaning classification. And this cleaning classification is really meant to be able to identify those devices that cannot sit and wait. Some devices that can sit and wait and devices that you can let dry and it's okay because we want to really understand if there is an ability to give our sterile processing partners more information so that they can prioritize their work, not just have to do everything all at once, but to really be able to start saying, this is a maximal risk device. I have to process it within 10 minutes of receiving it because I cannot let any soil dry versus a moderate risk device that maybe you could let some and a a minimal risk that maybe maybe it could sit there and it's fine until you get to it 12 hours later. So we're really starting to look at how to give sterile processing folks more information as manufacturers to be able to give them that flexibility within their processing time to really adjust to their needs versus just saying, work harder. We want them to work smarter.
1: Well, that's exciting. I can't wait to see that information. Uh, that's going to be great for our industry. So thank you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Tara, Sue, it's been a pleasure to have you both on the show. Thank you for your time and thank you both for what you do for our industry.
2: Thank you, John. Thank you. And again, thank you, Tara, for all the oh. great work you've done. It's my really pleasure. improving the quality of instrumentation. Thank you.
0: Thank you for the opportunity, Sue.
1: Well, that music means only one thing, and I am sorry, but we are out of time for today. Again, thank you, Sue. Thank you, Tara, for being on the show. Hey, make sure you be on the lookout for more articles and research from Tara. You know, they are doing great things to further our industry. So that means HSPA episode number 99 is in the books. We're done for today. Thanks for sticking with us. And hey, each episode that we do is on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, and we'll see you next time.